Um, and and, and, we, and we, we face all kinds of barriers uh, in life, really, uh, when I think about it. And, and there's two reasons for them, really. One is, is protection, like at Niagara Falls. Uh, it, it, barriers keep us safe from, uh, from dangers, things that, again, things that would harm us. We, we found a great New Mexican food, kind of drive, well, everything's drive through now, but it's called Sabor. It's over there by, uh, you know Sabor? It's really good. I highly recommend it. It's over there by uh, uh, where Chambers and, and Parker Road come. I don't know. It's, I can't describe it. It's in that strip mall. What was the name of that of that sandwich place? Jason's Deli. It's like right where Jason, but go all the way to... Yeah, go all, yeah, Pioneer Hills. You go all the way to the end. It's sitting out by itself. Really good Mexican food. So we were we were pulling out the other night, and if, you know along Parker Road, I, for some reason I, I've been obviously I've been there a million times. I really never noticed those those concrete barricades that that are all along that whole stretch. And I thought, man, that's really a <laughs> that's probably a great idea. Uh, that 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 wide of a, a road at that point and going 55 miles an hour, they have those those barriers there to prevent cars from head on with each other. But um, there are also barriers, not just to protect us, but there are also barriers that really prevent us from doing things. They prevent us from advancing, from succeeding. Things like maybe a lack of education can be a barrier at times. Um, lack of experience can be a barrier. So, so barriers take all shapes, forms, sizes, from literal barriers to metaphorical barriers. But there's also barriers that, that we uh, create ourselves. Um, for instance, I was thinking that a lot of us have create emotional barriers. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, th- th- that we don't really let others into our lives and, and we don't enter into their lives. That, that, that they're, again, for maybe for a sense of protection, we, uh, we, we don't really have any kind of intimate relationships. Um, I think one of the things that uh, that's a challenge in a lot of marriages is this whole issue. And, and guys, I think that that's primarily our responsibility is to create a, a, a relationship of intimacy. Uh, but sometimes we, we create barriers where uh, we don't let people in. Um, we have social barriers. I have a particular social barrier. And that my barrier that I've erected is I hate big crowds. I, I just feel... Uh, last time we went, we went to uh, this was I think it was with Dan actually went to a Broncos game. That was back when they were actually still playing football. That was it too. Yes, my skin's crawling right now just thinking about it. We went to yes, we went to uh, the Star Wars thing in, in uh, Landmark. And there wasn't an empty seat in the place. I'm just getting, my skin's crawling. There wasn't an empty seat in the place, and I just never could, I was just un- uneasy. I just never could relax. I have this, maybe it's not a barrier, maybe it's an action. Do you mind if I share my fears with you? And I, it's a phobia, maybe. Yeah. But it's a barrier. It's a social barrier. Um, others have barriers, about, again, about relations. We have all kinds of barriers. If you think about it, there's all kinds of barriers in our lives. Well, it was really no different in Jesus' day. In fact, 
the early church had a a particularly um, troubling barrier that they had to get over. And that was, it was really, I guess, an ethno-religious barrier, an ethnic barrier. Um, as we're going to see, well, as you already probably know, the, 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 the very first believers uh, were Jews. If you look at Pentecost. These were Jewish people. Uh, the early church, very early on, these were Jewish converts, converts from Judaism. But, but very early on, too, it wasn't much longer after Pentecost that Paul and Peter took the gospel to the Gentiles. And now the Gentiles are coming into the church. And so the, the early church wrestled because both the Jews and Gentiles had ethnic and, I guess, religious barriers between each other. And it was a real problem in the early church. And as we look at our text this morning, if you turn to Mark chapter 7, we'll see that Jesus instructs us in how to overcome or how he overcame this barrier. And as I've said before, he is, uh, he is a model for us. So Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. And uh, most of our manuscripts have and Sidon there, but some don't. We'll, we'll look at that in a minute. From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Our first section in verses 24 through 30 is, I'm entitled, When the Gospel Goes to the Dogs. But with this, he, he arose from, and went away. Remember, he's just had this interaction with, the, with, with these Pharisees. And it says that he arose and went away to the region of Tyre. Um, let's look at, let's reorient ourselves, because this is geographic, geographically this is important. Jesus is in the area, the, the Sea of Galilee area, on this side of the, of the, of the sea. And actually, it's a lake, but the Sea of Galilee. And our text tells us that he goes up to Tyre. So he leaves Galilee, here's, here's the border of Israel, and he goes into what? Phoenicia. What's called Phoenicia. And he goes into Tyre. Now, some of our texts say that he went into the, the, the Tyre and Sidon. Uh, I, I think what, probably one of the explanations is... Uh, they were trying. The, Mark was simply trying to say this region. Now, later on, we do know that he actually physically goes goes to Sidon. But this, the, the, the important thing was to understand that Jesus has left Galilee. He's left Israel, and now he is in Tyre. Okay. You just go ahead and okay. You can go back now. We're going to come back to that map in a minute. Thank you, Corey. Anybody know modern-day equivalent of Tyre or Phoenicia? 
What's, what's just north of Israel? Geographic, geography. Lebanon and Syria. This whole area is what is now modern day Lebanon and Syria. Which is now comprised of, starts with M, rise with Muslims. Muslims. That's going to be important. And he, and he goes to this area. Now, this would have been unheard of. This would have been unheard of for any Jew, much less a, someone who was considered a rabbi, to leave Israel and to voluntarily go into Phoenicia, to Tyre and Sidon. And we read, what does he do there? He goes, he enters a house. Now, that should spark a question for you. Now, what house? How, whose house was this? Um, did, did he know these people ahead of time? What, what connections did he have? Mark doesn't tell us, so we assume it's not that important. But it does, it's interesting to me that even that far north, there was, at this time, there was someone who, who had connections with these Phoenicians. And it says that when he went to this house... He wanted to try to keep it on the down low. He wanted probably, again, to find some kind of rest for he and his disciples, although I think he sovereignly knew and went up there for a particular reason, much like the woman at the well. And said that he did not want anyone to know that he was there, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. So, he comes in the house, and who approaches him? says that there's a woman. Again, we don't know her name, but this is a woman whose daughter is demon-possessed. She is uh, possessed by an evil, often when it says unclean spirit, it means an evil spirit. And what, how is she described? She is a Greek by culture, which was not uncommon. In fact, uh, Israel was, was pretty much Hellenized as well. Uh, most, most Israelites did not speak Hebrew, could not speak or read Hebrew. Uh, most of them, it was Greek. Uh, Jesus, of course, spoke Aramaic. Uh, so, because of Alexander the Great and his, his conquering of this whole area, it was, it, it was very much of a Hellenized region. In fact, we see that in, in Acts. Remember uh, the when uh, the, the distribution of food was given to widows and the Hellenized Jews were getting left out? Well, because they were, they were, the, they were the Greeks. So hell, uh, this Greek culture was really was, was this whole area. But by birth, she was what? Syrophoenician. What's another name for Syrophoenician? Let me tell you what it is. Canaanite. She was a Canaanite. Any, anybody remember any other woman mentioned in the Bible who was from Phoenicia, from Tyre, this region? Keep your marker here. Turn to 1 Kings. I'm surprised our Wednesday night group didn't jump in on that one. 1 Kings. Chapter 16. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. 
Uh, jump down to, well, we'll just say verse, verse 31. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he's saying if that wasn't enough, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbael, king of the Sidonians, which is from Sidon. That's okay, that's okay, Corey. So who else was a, from, the, from Phoenicia? Jezebel. Dude, you don't think that the, the, the early Jews who read this story didn't know that? That Jesus went into the very region where in their past, um, the, the very homeland of Jezebel. And if, if you read anything about Jezebel, this she was not a nice lady. But more than that, not just her personally, but culturally. Anybody know anything about this region, the Canaanites. This is this is this is where we get the, what's called the Ugarit or the Ugaritic language, and and they had their own gods. They they had their own pantheons of gods. In fact, their god was called El, um, and they had a, a co co ruler, a co god who was named Baal, Baal. So Baal worship and and the worship of El, and they had a. They had the, the, this divine council of these, these gods that ruled this region. But this is, where, this is where Baal worship came from. Baal worship came down from the north into Israel. And, and if you read through the Old Testament, this was a constant, constant temptation, a constant, this idolatry of the, this evil god Baal. And, and it was a Canaanite god. These were Canaanites. They, they would have understood this. The, the, this original story, when Jesus went up into Tyre, they would immediately, the Jew would immediately think Canaanite. He went into, he went to the Canaanites. Not just Jezebel, but look over the next chapter, First Kings chapter seventeen. Verse seven. Or verse eight. Then the word of the Lord came, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, same region, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. This is Elijah. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, bring me a little water. And he goes, and this is the one where the, you know, the oil never stopped. And she was dying. They were dying of, of hunger and her and her son. This was Phoenicia. This was the land of the Canaanites. These were... Uh, these were, in fact, uh, pagan. They, they were involved in pagan worship and Baal, in Baal worship. So back to Mark. The, the, it, it, is, it is not just a happen chance that Mark indicates that she was Syrophoenician by birth, although she has been thoroughly Hellenized. And, and this is the area where he went. And what does she ask him? Verse 26, she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And look at Jesus' response. Again, the Jesus we never knew. <laughs> what would we expect Jesus to say? Uh, what, have we, what have we seen Jesus do up until this point, by the way? When people come and, and ask him for healing, what have we seen Jesus do? He does it. He responds to them. This is a little different, though. Look how Jesus responds. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. How does that sound to you? 
kind of harsh, cruel, uncaring. I'm sure that's what the disciples were thinking. I think the very thing that we think when we first read this is probably the very thing his disciples were thinking. She gets it, though, as we're going to see. She understands what Jesus is saying. Here, here, here's, this is, this is, he's speaking parabolically. He's speaking metaphorically here. Um, who do you think that... Well, let, let's, let's, let's flesh it out. Let the children be, be fed first. Well, who might the children be that he's referring to here? The Jews. What about bread? It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What might this be? Yeah, probably the gospel. And what about dogs? Throw it to the dogs. Who are the dogs? The Gentiles. See, the, the, the dogs in Jesus' day, most for the most part, were wild. They were feral dogs. You know, they run all over. They were they were like scavengers. And they were considered unclean, and everybody hated dogs. But then, uh, that's not the word that Jesus used here, though. This, they, so there was, a word, there was a word for dogs, but then they have what's called a diminutive form of, of words, where a diminutive form it would be kind of like a, a mini, a mini dog. But, but it would be like a house pet. So the dog that he refers to is not the word that Jews would normally refer to Gentiles as, because Jews would, would refer to Gentiles as dogs. These ravenous scavengers, unclean creatures. That's not the word that Jesus used. Jesus used the word, this adorable house pet. Kind of like Murphy. (laughs) Right, Jenna? Yeah, this dog that the whole family just loves. And... this is the, so this is the word that Jesus uses, which would have been shocking. Again, to the early audience, this would have been shocking that Jesus did not refer to them how they were normally referred to. He did not refer to this woman as a dog like they normally referred to, to dogs. But this was, this was, was different. Uh, what do you think is going on here? First of all, he does not say that it is not right to give the children's bread to dogs. What does he say? What's that? First. This is a key word. He says what? First. To turn to Romans. Well, actually, Matthew 10.5. Matthew, let's go to Matthew 10.5. That is such a key word. First. Remember, uh, when, when Jesus sends out the twelve disciples... The first instruction he gives them, Matthew 10.5, these twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Their mission was to the Jew first. What about Romans 1.16? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. doesn't say to the Jew only. It says to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. Later on, turn now with me to Acts 13. Later on, after Pentecost, Acts 13... And they followed Jesus' command. They obeyed Jesus' command. In Acts 13, verse 46. 
in Antioch and Pisidia, Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are now turning to the Gentiles. The, the key word there is first. That Jesus was, was, was saying to her that there is a time, there is a time, a, a time and a place for the redemptive plan of God for the Gentiles, and now is not that time. Now it is for the Jew. Now what's, what's troubling about that statement? Think about this for a minute. Where is Jesus when he makes that statement? <laughs> he's, he's, in, he's with Gentiles. So we understand that, that, that this statement is not meant to be taken literally. What is going on? I think that what he's doing is he's testing her. He's testing her and he's testing his disciples. And look at her response, because her response tells us that she gets it. That this was a parable. This was, he's speaking metaphorically here. Look at what she says. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Isn't that great? What is she saying? She's saying, all I'm expecting, I understand, I get it. I understand that your mission first is to the Jew. But I'll, take, I'll just take some scraps. I'll just take some crumbs. That's all I need. She saw all that she needs is a crumb. I know she's saying, you're right, I'm a dog. But at least give me what dogs eat. Can I have what dogs eat? She's speaking metaphorically too. And look at what Jesus does. For this statement you may go your way. The, the, the parallel passage in, Mark, in, in Matthew 15.20 says, Because of your great faith. He says you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Is this just about the healing of her daughter? No. As we've often said, when you, when you look in the Gospels and you see healing, he's not just referring to physical healing, but that physical healing is a, is a symbol of spiritual healing. She exercised faith and she got saved. Notice the contrast between this woman and who he just had to deal with, the Pharisees. You don't eat. You're eating with unclean hands and... How dare you uh, not go through the ceremony of washing? Here's a woman that comes and falls down at his feet and begs him for his child's life, and, and she believes him and has great faith and believes. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. The gospel went to the dogs, but the, the, the gospel will also go to the dumb. Uh, let me explain that. Oh, there. Oh, man, you're good. You're good, my friend. So what does it say? Let's look at verse 30. And then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. So let's trace this. So he is in this region. He, he's in Tyre. So he goes north up to Sidon, this region. And then, then it says what? He goes to the Decapolis. So he probably went down the eastern edge into this region. Some have suggested, well, if you, t- you take the scale of miles, because we don't know the exact locations or anything, but if, if you go from here to here, and if roughly, you know, uh, 
down into this region, close to 120 miles probably. That's what I'm estimating. Give or take a couple miles. But I'm just guessing. Uh, 120 miles. Where does he go back? He doesn't go back to Galilee. In fact, he skirts around Galilee. Maybe he cut across, but he skirts around Galilee and he comes into the Decapolis. Now, where have we seen the Decapolis before? The pigs. Remember the, 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 the Gadarak, Gadarene demoniac and the legion? He's gone back to the Decapolis. And what does he encounter? Was this by accident? No. Verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, went through Sidon, the Sea of Galilee, and the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his finger in his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Epapha. That is, be open. This was, this was an Aramaic term. Again, here's Mark uh, de- de- defining these words for Gentiles. And his eyes were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus, Jesus charged them to tell no one. The more, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear and the mute or the dumb to speak. And I say dumb, that's an old English King James word. The dumb, the mute. Why, why this strange interaction? This, this deaf and, and mute man comes to him and, and he's spitting and he's, he's touching the man's tongue and sticking his finger in his ear. And, what, what's going on here? Why all these strange actions? Now, first of all, remember, Decapolis is a, primarily it's a Gentile region. It got its name from from ten cities that were there. By the way, these cities, in, 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 if you had biblical archaeology review, you know these cities were, were rather uh, advanced, and, and, and uh, these were highly culturized cities. This is not rural area, um, and uh, there were ten of them. That's where it gets the name Dak Polis, ten cities. Um, and again, this is where the the, the demon. A possessed man of Gadara that Jesus healed and, and cast the demons out of him was. And it says that he was deaf and he was mute, which is often the case with someone who's deaf. They can't hear themselves, and so they, it's hard for them. They lose their speech. Um, and Jesus enters into his world, and it's interesting to me that what did he do with the woman to heal her daughter? He just said, your daughter's healed. She wasn't even in the same town. He did it from a distance. He just spoke a word from a distance. But why here? Again, let's read this. This man was deaf. He was, he was mute. And he took him aside and he put his finger in his ears. I, I, I'm trying to imagine. He, he put his finger into his ears. And after spitting, so the, the, the implication is he spit on, maybe on his hands or his fingers. That'd be kind of strange for us today with COVID, right? And touched his tongue. Why do you think this is? There's a lot of suggestions of, of why Jesus did this. But let me give you my, my best guess. I think this was a, a kind of sign language for this man. I think, I think Jesus wanted to, enter, wanted to enter his word. See, see he, he was lacking a, a, one of our five senses. He was lacking hearing. What didn't he lack? 
touch. He could still feel. He could. He, 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 this man's life was all tactile. It was all feel and touch. And I think what Jesus would do is entering into this man's world. And, and those things that this man could feel and this man could experience. Jesus wanted this man to know, I am the one who's healing you. He couldn't say, be healed. He'd say, what? So he touched him. He put, his, he put his fingers in his ears. I'm the one that's healing your ears. He touched his tongue. I'm the one who's restoring your speech. But there's something more going on here, though. Turn once more, finally, to, back to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah 35, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad, the desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy in singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make the feeble knees and make, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. See, he's speaking symbolically and metaphorically of this messianic joy and the messianic ministry of the one who is to come. That, 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 that the lame man shall leap like a deer. We saw this in Acts chapter 3 when the, the man comes into the temple and, and Peter and John heal him and he, he goes leaping and dancing into church. But this one verse... The eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Jesus was simply fulfilling the Messianic prophecies, and he was demonstrating, in fact, that he was the Messiah. Now, these disciples that are standing here watching them, Mark is telling us through them, don't, do you see the deaf hearing and the mute Tongues shouting for joy. It has become God is because God has come. Jesus is saying, "I have come just as I promised." When the gospel goes to the dogs and the dumb, I was I was reminded of 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 a couple of hymns. The first one was Charles Wesley's hymn. He said, "Hear him, ye deaf; his praise, ye dumb." Your loosened tongue employ, ye blind, behold your Savior come, and leap ye lame for joy. See, he's not just talking about physical healing here. He's talking about curing spiritual deafness and spiritual muteness. Jesus was not about just going around the land and making people feel better. In fact, this was his very role. This was the very nature of his ministry as predicted and as prophesied as Messiah. In the response, in the capitalists, was he, he's done all things well. Not in Israel. They weren't saying that in Israel. In the capitalists. 
Well, what do we do? What do we to take away from this? These are two very different accounts, two very different interactions. One is a, a woman, one's a man. One is way up in Phoenicia. This was in the Decapolis. One had a daughter that was demon possessed. He healed her from a distance. Didn't have to touch. Just just spoke a word. In fact, he didn't even speak a word. He just said she's healed. And this man, he he was very tactile because this this see the gospel doesn't come in one size fits all. And I know that we have a lot of tools that we use for evangelism and for sharing the gospel, but we have to understand that that evangelism in the gospel is going to come in different forms, not not different content, not different message, but depending upon who the person is. But, but more than that, who who do you think this man and this woman represents? Here, look to the person next to you. Ruth, look over here. It's her. It represents her. You. It represents us. It, it represents who? In fact, who were these people? These were outcasts. Was it a mistake that Mark goes into great detail about him going way up into Phoenicia, way up in Tyre and Sidon, and then coming back to the Decapolis? Is that just is that just a happen chance? It's just a travel log. Now he's saying these people were outcasts. Jesus has effectively broken this, this barrier between Jew and Gentile. And not just a garden variety Gentile, but to a Canaanite. You see, that's us. That's you, that's me. Um, we're going to be studying in the book of Ephesians. And I, and I, and I read again, Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, Jesus said, therefore remember, or Paul said, therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the, uncircumc- called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So the, the Jews were the circumcision and they referred to the Gentiles. These were the uncircumcised. Remember that at that time, you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was us. We were without God and had no hope. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. We were all outcasts. We, had, we didn't have any impressive resumes. We had no, none of us had noble heritages. No wealth, no status, no righteous prerequisites. We were, as by that description of the church in Laodicea, we were poor, wretched, blind. We were mute and we were deaf to Christ in the things of God. But Jesus crossed the barrier, called us to be His very own. In fact, He says that at the end of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, He says, and because of Him, 
you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, redemption, so that it, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We were these people. We were outcasts. I looked up, again, the second hymn, My Jesus Has Done All Things Well. This was the conclusion of this group in Decapolis. He said, Now, in a song of grateful praise to Christ my Lord, my voice I'll raise. With all his saints I'll join to tell, my Jesus has done all things well. All words his glorious power confess. His wisdom all his words express. But, oh, his love... What tongue can tell? My Jesus has done all things well. How sovereign, wonderful, and free has been his love to sinful me. He plucked me from the jaws of hell. My Jesus has done all things well. And when to that bright world I rise and join the anthem in the skies, above the rest this note shall swell. My Jesus has done all things well. Let's pray. Father, it's not quite as shocking to us when we read these accounts in in the Gospels that you've given us, but to the early Jew, this would have been shocking. This would have been scandalous. Indeed, Father, um, your grace is scandalous. And Father, quite frankly, I was convicted. Father, it's important for us to keep up, uh, to be wise and, and and prudent and discerning, Father. In one, in, Father, you, you told us, Mark told us of how Jesus treated these, how he responded to these Pharisees. He, he he called them out. He castigated them. He stood for truth. He gave no quarter. And yet he meets with a Canaanite woman and and responds to her with such care and sensitivity. And he goes to the region of the Gentiles and and enters into this deaf and mute man's world and through very unique sign language saves him. Father, it is important for us, especially during this time, to make sure we, we, we have wisdom and discernment to know the difference. And I fear that oftentimes I've allowed my, uh, my anger and my frustration and all that's going on to, to, to override my compassion and, 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 and that there are people around me who who need Jesus. Give us that wisdom between standing for truth unapologetically, firmly, and yet being willing to cross ethnic and religious barriers, whether they are self-imposed or whether they've been imposed upon us, that, that, that we know the difference And we can respond with compassion and with sensitivity and give them the gospel. 
Father, pray that that we would erect no unnecessary unnecessary barriers, unnecessary barriers between you and the people around us. Father, we thank you that you reached out to us, that you crossed that barrier, holy God, to a sinful, unholy person like me. And gave me eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, the one who touched us. And everyone said, Amen. Would you please stand?